Hey folks, we had a great time talking about uh, Richard E. Norman and other great African-American pioneers in filmmaking. We do the usual topic talk in the beginning, so if you want to move past that and get right to the movie talk, you might want to head to minute mm, 23 and 50 seconds, maybe minute 24. All right, enjoy. Take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies. Put them in a room and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. All right. Uh, welcome, Mr. Finley. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. So uh, I'm going to, <laughs> I had a, a moment. We sh- I should have remembered. I didn't remember this last week when we recorded our last episode. But well, What was the episode? Well, uh, it was the uh, oh, Burt Reynolds, during the Burt Reynolds Got episode. Got it, yep. So... Okay, I've recently had a douche, like a serious douchey moment that involved the color purple. I don't remember. I have a, at work, I have this, uh, she, she recently moved to another department, but she was like right next to me. Yeah. And we had this, just this great, I have a black friend. Her name was Crystal. Mm-hmm. Right, sweet woman. She's like, she's one of those people who like makes, like, she's a, she's, she's a good Christian. She's like the kind of Christian that makes you go, eh, it's okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, sure. Like, okay, so she's got that going for her. But we got in this conversation. I don't know how the fuck it came up, but the color purple came up. And I was like, oh, fuck, here's my chance to be a woke white man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And get a black woman's perspective, which I've never heard on this movie at all. Mm. So I was like, oh, okay, that's got to be interesting. Well, you know, that was a really tough movie to watch, I said to her. And her response, <laughs> Wait, I wanted to find out her. I'm already douche chilling. Uh, well, oh, God, yeah. I was yeah, yeah. so like, I had, a t- oh, I had a hard time watching I, that movie. I am woke. Oh, so difficult to watch the struggle yeah. of the black oh, woman. Oh, my God. Right. And her uh-huh. response is, uh, when she saw it, she couldn't stop laughing. I'm I'm amazed. That's awesome, but it, because it seems so over the top or it silly does. or it sounds crazy. And I was like well, laughing. What, what are you talking about? She's like that motherfucker. I had to sleep sometime. Oh, okay. So just to clarify, anyone who doesn't know the story, it's right, this so woman who's who, being like seriously, serially, like sort of tormented, raped, and uh, by being, her father first, right. who then basically sells her into sort of a marriage by this really abusive asshole in the film played, played by, by Danny, Danny Glover. Glover. Yeah. yeah, I'm getting and, too old for this shit. I love her response. Which yeah. is, that motherfucker's got to sleep at some time. Which is oh okay. I guess you would have a more practical look on that. I don't know. That's kind of a. I'm gonna have to disagree with your um, one black friend, Tom. In that, that's kind of the point of the movie is that you know when she is really ready to get him, Uh and he always makes her shave him. One of the great scenes is that she's shaving him Mm. on the porch, and but she can't quite go through with it. She's almost going to, and then she gets stopped. Right. So it's kind of like that actually adds to the torment of the movie is that is that oh, you yeah. know that she can, but yeah. that she's too afraid to even do it when she can. Right. I, I, I understand that. Like, yeah, I yeah. get that part. Yeah. Like, that's that's the crux of the movie. That's, yeah. the, that's the huge tension of the movie. Yeah. But I just like her <laughs> response. I no, thought was very, I, it was is very, great. very practical it's, on that. Well, whenever you're sort of like showing what a good progressive yeah, person uh, you are, it is always wonderful to be corrected and <laughs> smashed by somebody, especially <laughs> the person you're sort of purported, purporting to be like- on the side on of the there. side of you know yeah, or like yeah. uh yeah it's it is good 
I fucking love that. It's anyway, good stuff. I, I had to share that story. No, thank you for doing that. I appreciate <laughs> that, <was> man. <laughs> <laughs> she's such a great person, and she's so like, but she's so very. She's, yeah, she's, she's just a practical person. You don't bring, you don't don't bring up like she's not. She's not into like hugely abstract thoughts. I'm not saying she can't. It's, it's, they yeah. just don't interest her. She's like life is life is life. Yeah. So, so she's that was her answer. So God bless her. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Anyways, all right. So let's let's, let's start talking about let's stuff. Start talking about things. So. I think one of the things we wanted to talk about was pedophilia. Pedophilia. Oh man, do we want to talk about that? Cannot, we can't. We want to draw a listenership to this. Sure. <laughs> this is, we're oh do it. man. Yeah. My pro, I I, uh, I saw. I was. What do you think of pedophilia? What do I think of pedophilia? I'm uh. Pro? I'm gonna go. I'm I'm not. I'm not. Are you for it. Okay. I'm against it. Right, yeah. Take a strong stand there. Depending on how we, you know, depending on how one defines it, of course. Um, yeah. But by the classical definition, I'm going to go. Yeah, no, not a fan. Yeah, of course. Not well, all right. So you were. So I'm I'm approaching this relative to the fact that uh, Pope Francis has recently uh, recently come out and uh, basically ordered uh, all the priests who have been sexual abusers over the years to step forward and, and to step forward about it and go 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 seek their just punishment here on earth. You know what I would do is I would step backwards. Yeah, and then just sort of leave the other popes hanging there. Well, Pope Francis is supposed to be um, like the the good pope. Finally, yeah, when right. he's not an asshole, the woke pope. Yeah, the woke pope. But the I mean, the problem is that the bar. I, I started to realize this because I was running around like I love this guy, I love yeah. this pope. And the thing is, the bar was set so low that any time the first time a pope acted sort of like a human being, we were all over <laughs> congratulating him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah meanwhile, well, he's still you know well, part of this evil empire. Yeah, in well, the way. the thing is, it's also this is PR. I mean, that's yeah. he said that. Mm-hmm. Nobody's gonna do it. I doubt Nobody it. Nobody has to do it for his stock to rise. That's that's where it gets. Oh, a it seems point. a little uh, disingenuous. Dis- yeah, ooh, disingenuous is the word, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is. Quit fucking kids. That's really just don't. Are you do telling that. me or? Well, I'm. I'm Who are you talking here, to right now? You're here, and if you're listening, please quit <laughs> fucking kids. Just stop doing that, okay? And no. let's. And while we're at it, Pope Francis, if you really want to fix it, why don't you make it so priests can marry again? They used to be able to do uh, that. I was gonna go there. Well, that's. The- why don't you let them get at that sweet, sweet poo nanny? Or butt nanny, however it plays. I'm not judging. Yeah, I think it's one of the problems, though, is I think that perspective because I, you know, I, um, I don't think people are fucking kids who fuck kids because they can't get laid. Well, I think they're fucking kids because that's the, not why you fuck. That's they, not why you rape people because the, they've they've put their sexual impulses on fucking hold. And are trying to keep them down, and they don't. Those things, those things, will find an out of some kind. I don't think that, but I don't think rape is. And if you're going to be ashamed of sex, why not be really ashamed of it? I guess. But it's not. I mean, the idea is that rape is not really a sexual impulse thing. It's like it, it's sort of just manifested that way. But it's really about like um, power. Yeah, I mean, sort of taking your. I mean, it's 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 sort of like uh, what then would be the thing. For people who just torture people who don't who don't rape them but like capture them and torture them right like mm-hmm. if only they could well what? I'm on their side <laughs> I want that to be clear no but you that's see fine. But you see what I'm saying like yeah. there is no so so that's why I think it's a sort of a false cause effect right mm-hmm. I know what you're saying obviously there's there's the sexual I'm gonna act say involved. there's at least a percentage of those that would that would fall off yeah maybe I mean that. there's all kinds of solutions right. that that people propose to it right right and also of, it might attract people who aren't who aren't like desperately trying to keep that side of them down so they go to a place where they can't have any sex where all sex is verboten uh and then yeah. it, it, it 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 you know it's gonna and then it, it surfaces later i would yeah. suspect that's a part of the equation yeah maybe i i don't yeah it, it it could be i mean one of the problems also is that it's the way we talk about it like mm-hmm. i don't know how to quite to say this because you know it's sort of like 
it's not that you should stop making it such a big deal because you should make it a really big deal that, that people hurt children. I mean, oh, yeah. you just should make yeah. it a big deal. The problem is because it naturally is a big deal and it inflames any of us who like know someone, especially a child has been hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's that because it makes us a little out of control, we don't handle it in a controlled fashion, right? It's mm-hmm. like we all act like, you know, um, all of us will say like, even I'm against capital punishment if you are. But yeah, of course, if someone you know killed my mother or my son or something like that, I would that's want hard. their blood, that's, right? Yeah, that is a hard question. And so what me. we do yeah. is we go, okay, well, that's why in society we take our sort of like uh, you know uh, inflamed passions about these issues out of the equation and set up a system to where like we actually have a justice system that handles it appropriately, right? Right. But we don't do that with 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 um, with pedof- pedophiles. Yeah. And 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 as a result, one of the things that happens is like it said over and over again like it's you can't cure it right and it's like actually pedophiles pedophiles have the lowest recidivism rate of any fucking major criminal Mm -hmm. it's much lower than like abusers than murderers than you know and then the other thing is the fear of this also drives us to 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 miscategorize other people we were talking about this last episode also the guy who pissed in public and is suddenly a sex offender who has to register in every town he goes to, right? Right, because if if you're sort of, it's sort of like when politicians like he's weak on crime. It's like as people, as as political people in the world, right. we, we don't want to be like seen as weak on pedophilia. And like, of course not. Why would you want to be? Right. I'm even defensive right now, but it's sort of like strangely so. Yeah, I know. Um, let me put this J.C. Penney's catalog away. Um, so it, yeah, but it's like, uh, how about handling it with like data? And you know, and 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 methodology, right. and it's sort of like, well, so then we come we just perpetuate myths, and it's like it's the one yeah. thing that doesn't need mythology. It actually right. needs like actual attention. But people with an agenda who who can put together their own statistics, statistics are going to yeah. come across the top. And but I don't even think lie. they have an agenda. Their agenda is really just like the the human propensity to be uh, uh, enraged at people who hurt helpless people. Right. I mean, my I, I actually I get that impulse. Yeah, my I have this really hot button with um, people who who take advantage of, of the elderly. I don't mean like sexually. I'm just you and jogging, like, you have a big hot button right now. What's that? Oof, your crotch. Woof. Um, and that's From that. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but but that's. Uh, I sound like uh, our friend Dave up carrying all of a sudden. I think I'm just horse. But I. Uh, <laughs> I <laughs> what do you mean? But uh, it's like I I it really enrages me when people take advantage of the elderly. Uh-huh. And for some reason, it's like that's that's my sort of focus on like the helpless folk of the world. It really sure. it really upsets me. It's like leave them alone for God's sake. Yeah. Um. And it's sort of like I get it. Like, but it's like we have to approach it in a way that has some semblance of like logic. Right. You know. Uh, that would be the optimal. I mean, yeah, that's the perfect world. Right. Yeah, I've heard people say of just stop fucking kids. Well, Sorry. there's that. But I've heard people say in reaction, like... Um, and older people. We love them. You know, when a dog goes rabid, you kill a dog. Well, yeah. But, but in every... Yeah, but dogs don't have... Any other aspect of your life where you equate human beings with, with wild, the wild kingdom? Right. And let me just point out, that's actually a horribly flawed analogy. Because you're doing it because the animal has like, physically got a, a sickness. Well, that's how what people think, though. It's like a kind uh, of a... That's how people... Because it's yeah. a metaphor... Right. 
Yeah. To say they're, you know, they have a, you know, uh, well, in some simple way. Simple answers, man. People want the answer simple and stupid. I'm swinging wide here, but in a way, I think uh, what's partly responsible for the indirectly. Oh, God, he is swinging wide. The, the indirect responsibility here is is um, the idea of disease as a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like most Americans yeah. d- believe that like uh, drug addiction is like a disease, right? right? And it's like, I totally understand how it's a way to wrap your head around you know somebody, you have a good friend whose behavior you cannot understand right. over a 10-year period in relationship to cocaine or heroin or something, right? So you say... But to extend the metaphor past that. And then it just becomes this pocket metaphor, and, and in mm. a way, in a in a much less empathetic way, we even throw it at, like, uh, pedophiles. Ah, oh, they have this disease, and right. it's like, you know, the only, the only cure is the vaccination of death. So we're really fighting intellectual <laughs> laziness is what I'm hearing here. Yeah, and, and by the way, now tell somebody who's who knows someone whose kid has been molested, like, you're being intellectually lazy. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> there's no way to have this conversation. I'm, I'm sorry. To, but you're being intellectually lazy. Would you, would you mind removing your hands from my throat? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I find that, I find that uh, restricting of air. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Well, okay, well, we've cured that. Yeah, yeah. We've cured that disease. Yeah, hopefully some a priest is listening to this show. and. Uh. So you you want to talk? I don't understand what you want to talk about. You were mentioning something about a YouTube situation earlier. Yeah, well, what is that? I think, like, YouTube, like uh, what, what what's like a guilty pleasure? What's something you like watching on? Like, do you ever go down rabbit holes on YouTube? Oh, I like uh, the Comeuppance series. Okay, which is like the um, uh, somebody is an adult typically is being sort of harassed by like a drunk person i'll kick your fucking ass and they look they're twice the size and it turns out this person's been like a freaking kumite death fighter yeah exactly and so they just like (laughs) waste them with one punch yeah i love those those are very very satisfying Uh, and i also like uh um uh the two more things i like prank which is the of course they're stupid have you ever seen that one it's like it's like the video of the worst prank gone wrong it's one of the most horrible things oh someone dies it's like evidence yeah yeah. it's like these these, these couple decide that they're going to surprise their friend by by hiding in her house mm-hmm. and then film it and then jump out and like shock her yeah. and unfortunately she runs straight out of the fucking door right into the street and gets hit by a car yeah although that like might be a hoax on us I might well except for the little tag on the bottom saying this is part of, this is evidence in court mm. so I don't know but uh, yeah um, sometimes Pranks can go horribly awry, but anyway. And then also, I love um, it's a version of Cub Up, but it's, but it's it's sort of like a road rage people who then crash their car because they're shouting at somebody. No, oh, right, 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 yeah. right. You ever watch like Russian like road cam? Yeah, yep. videos. Oh, those are fun. those are the best. Those yeah. are amazing. Yeah, I got uh, mine is like uh, I, I I've gotten into these reaction videos where they like they'll take like kids yeah. and make them watch Metallica or I've something. I seen that. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I kind of like those. Yep. Those are uh, those are kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's a kind of a big one, and then of course soft rock. I was into soft rock last week. Well, got less. Sorry, a couple of weeks ago I was into like seventy soft rock. So why? Well, I don't know. Gary, everyone needs a little Gary Rafferty in their life. I think a public cruise. Uh huh. Well, yeah. war public cruise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So this was your you, this is your topic of YouTube uh, it's a topic pleasures. I figured, well, yeah. Okay. Let's making sure I understood it right. Yeah, that's about it. Wow. <laughs> that was a good one, Tom. Oh, shut up. <laughs> All right, let me try to match you with a terrible one. All right. Um, I, think, I think you'll succeed. Speaking of YouTube, my, yeah, my wife and I were watching um, Dick Cavett, the Dick Cavett Show. Ooh, okay. Okay. So Dick Cavett, for those of you who don't know, Dick Cavett um, 
is still around, still aged, a kind of a tiny man, and he had a talk show. And talk shows were different. We're not talking about daytime talk shows, nor are we actually really talking about like the whole Johnny Carson Tonight Show, David the Letterman classic talk show that Letterman and, and Carson made. It's somewhere in the middle, and right. it's like and they had shows like the Mike Douglas Show, right, the right. Merv Griffin Show, mm-hmm. and 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 on the sort of more intellectual erudite side was Dick Cavett, and Dick Cavett had the. I'd sh- say Ferguson's the, the most. Sort of in that Craig Ferguson. Yeah, he's closer. But Dick Cavett, even he's a little jokey, but yeah. Yeah, the thing about Dick Cavett. Oh, again, Ferguson could be actually really dirty. By the way, you seen this? So, so Dick Cavett um, had the show that was mostly popular in the seventies. If you've ever seen Forrest Gump, it's it's the thing where um, Forrest Gump is sort of CGI'd into a a talk show with um, John Lennon. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the Dick Cavett show. Right. So Dick Cavett had the show. If you're watching this on YouTube. Well, because YouTube's a place where you can find shows that no one gives a shit about in terms of public domain, right? Like, kind of like us. Ours, right? Yeah. So so uh, Paul Newman was on it. And Dick Cavett would ha- usually have like one, sometimes two guests. Um, one thing is, aside from paying attention to the like eight minutes and then a commercial break thing, he would just sort of let it be, including like moments of silence. Uh-huh. And I was struck, we were struck watching it, how how much shows like that were willing to sort of let people be a little bit bored to find something. Sure. Whereas there's no way you could have a show that today that isn't so choreographed, right? It's sort of uh, like Jay Leno had that yeah. thing, like every 15 seconds you got to have a, a right. laugh, right? right? And I think mm-hmm. that's sort of like a great metaphor for the way that television works now. And of course, you know, reality television is that way. Sort of tying it back. I was uh, there's another there's this other uh, series of videos that I kind of have to admit I love, but they're very yep. gimmicky. Uh-huh. They're from the BBC, All right. and it's uh, it's the insult off, and they get like two people like. Two, uh, you know, like the two leads of a movie they're they're promoting, yeah. and they have them just like sit there and insult each other, and they're like Mark Wahlberg versus uh, what's his name, um, uh, shit from old school, Will Ferrell. Oh yeah, you know, and they're just like staring at each other, saying insults, and whoever you know gets the best zinger on, and then they st- they shut it down. But again, they're very that's a very gimmicky approach. To what, what, to, but it's it's the opposite of what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's it has what to be. It's, it's the modern, it's very gimmicky yeah. way to go about it. Yeah, here's yeah. a meme. Read this. Like, yeah, that kind of thing. So, so, so Paul Newman was on this show, and it's like Paul Newman in like 1973 or something. Uh-huh. He, he's made a movie I, I forgot even existed. I forgot what the name it was. Even he sort of produced it as well. But he told this sort of really long rambling story about taking the train from his house in Connecticut into Manhattan and losing his wallet. It and and trying to make money and no one would give him money except a group of hippies. Uh-huh. They're like, you're that Paul Newman. Here's ten dollars, man. <laughs> and this whole thing. And it was like, it wasn't a good story, really. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of, it was a very real story. It was yeah. like stretching out. And I was talking to my brother-in-law uh, Chuck about this recently because we're trying to figure out, like, in a way, what's happening with um, things like YouTube and and podcasting is it's like we have this opportunity to do what we had an opportunity with with television in like the 1950s uh, and we make it actually a useful social tool of some kind we totally blew it right it yeah. had to become like sound bites and clips and like getting your attention and selling, uh, selling headlines yeah and and so you know we're relegated to any real conversation real conversation not cnn or fox where they're like a, a pretend round table where they just sort of do talking points yeah yeah 
is really like Sunday morning at 5 a.m. where they like fit in like because the FCC has a requirement mm -hmm. that like 3% of your airtime has to be like for the public good or right. something like that. Which is, of course, which of course, the, 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 you know, the networks have like just teams of people trying to figure out how to parse that fucking. Exactly, exactly. So, so what's interesting is, you know, uh, we have now people who have, um, you know, podcasts, for instance, and sometimes they're about specific things, you know, like the like, uh, you know, a cooking podcast. But the ones that are looser tend to be a lot like the Dick Cavett show. Right. They're like two or three hours. Mm -hmm. There's some silence sometimes. Sometimes they're a little boring in spots. But you get a chance for someone to talk at length about what right. they wanted to talk about mm -hmm. and. Um, you also get shows, those same shows, where it's like there'll be a comedian on for two mm -hmm. or three hours talking about whatever, and then there could be the next time a geologist, which is very Dick Cavett, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to have mm -hmm. this guy from the San Diego Zoo on, and the next day I'm going to have Robert Redford on, right? Right, right. But it's like, you know, as a result, what I have seen is I have heard um, people complain about headlines, about mm -hmm. people. Oh, can you believe what this guy said? Mm -hmm. And I have said, no, that sounds absolutely asinine yeah. and then gone back to the podcast from which it was drawn and, and it was in it. It was totally no way content. what they said yeah, at all in fact the person who was complaining would probably agree with them right and so now the problem is we're at this precipice and mm -hmm. it's like i i have more time than some because a lot of my job um is like in my office grading papers i get to spend time to myself and right. sort of manage my own time mm -hmm. but i don't have 10 hours a day to sort of wade through all the con so now i have to make choices right and we also have a culture that even if they had the time may not have the focus right to yeah stay oh, with yeah, something for course, two hours yeah so it's, it's like, almost like we're being trained to that effect in a sense well, yeah, because if, if I believed in conspiracy theories, I would say that <laughs> I don't even think it's a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Like so, like this example I was talking about, where this guy uh, was quoted by the New York Times as saying that um, men were in a crisis of masculinity. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a real asinine thing to say. <laughs> and then I, I I went back to the original thing, and what he was talking about was men. He was talking about all people, but because he was a man, he was saying like I, I have more insight into men mm -hmm. are are not obliging themselves to things in life and as a result they're making bad partners. Uh, so it's not about like machismo or right. alpha male. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. about like you don't ha have any sort of insight beyond your own immediate pleasure as a person. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be a good partner to another man or woman or whoever or, right. or a business partner or a friend. Mm -hmm. And it made total sense, right? And the New York Times, in sort of taking him out of context, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think to some degree they're threatened by a medium that can do what they can't do because the New York Times can't publish 18 pages on, on someone saying something. Right, right, right. Whereas you can listen to him saying something. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a little bit of self-interest. And it's also like that's a very human, non-conspiratorial reaction is to condense something. Mm -hmm. because talking points for all of us oh. are easier. Sorry, And, and also, I mean, just as part of that mechanism, isn't it, it wouldn't, I would say that the existence is also sort of making the snake eat its own tail in that the, as we become more used to that, right, like the, the pull quote and the, yep. uh, and the, and the sort of the, the, the breaking it down to like a one line so you can get your point across, we now begin to expect that 
of our information. Oh yeah, it doesn't it even becomes, seem reasonable unless yeah. unless it's unreasonable. Yeah, yeah. Like you recently had uh, like an essay, right? Yeah, where they did some pull quotes in your essay. Yep. To, I guess to 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 up uh, interest. I, I can't imagine interest, but let's just. Say, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote something that was very uninteresting, uh, actually. Yeah, but uh, but at the same, but but you you confessed to me you were a little shocked at some of the quotes that they pulled. Like yeah, the but stuff it wasn't. That they decided to highlight. For I wasn't reason. even. I mean, first of all, it was a thousand words on the death of a uh, of a writer, mm-hmm. right? And I was asked to write this piece, and it, and yeah, so the pull quotes were not. I wasn't like, oh, this is misleading or out of context. Yeah. I mean, gratefully, because that happens a lot. But even in that case, I'm like, what was that person's sensibility to pull that out? Right. Rather, I don't know any sure where that leads. And it's no big deal, but it's it's out of your hands. And the thing is, even if it's not your podcast or your YouTube channel, it is in your hands. I mean, it used to be like the smart people who would do interviews. I think it was maybe Robert Downey Jr. or someone. They would bring their own cameras. To, to interviews and oh. say, like, I'm going to record this. I'm not saying you have to use the full hour, but I am saying if you use seven minutes and it's uh. way <laughs> the fuck out of context, I have the hour. Right, right, right. It's I'm in my hands. Made, well, that guy would definitely have learned some lessons on that particular front, yeah. Yeah, well. Like, Do you ever see the one where he walked out on an interview? Uh-huh, yeah. He's oh, kind a, of an ass, shockingly. I, I Yeah, I get it. I would still like to hang out with him. I think he'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I would like to have hung out with him. In the early days, I believe <laughs> the time he went to in jail to Corcoran prison for a while, he was um, caught high on meth wearing a Supergirl outfit in a closet in a hotel. He, what was he arrested for? Having too much fun, apparently. I guess, yeah. <laughs> Being fucking way too rad. Uh, he pooped on a <laughs> fire hydrant or something. I don't know. Nice. All right. Anyway, so um, uh, anyway, you got anything else? I was thinking also um, about... Um, yeah, I was thinking about let's talk about movies. Good, good point, Tommy. Tommy let's, just gave me the old let's point talk to about the watch movies, and shut baby. the fuck up. Let's talk about you and me. Yeah, well, this let's, is a weird episode because it's not. It's one of those episodes where it's not about a particular person or necessarily even a topic, but it's well, sort of we're harkening back to um, we did this with episode eight, and it was um, when we did the um, the uh, Lois Weber and, and uh, uh, Mabel Norman episode, mm-hmm. and that yeah. one was kind of sort of the unexpected roots of of. Movie making as we know it now, where it came from. Yeah, I mean, in that episode way I back find then, this really fucking interesting, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that episode way back then, with with uh, uh, Mabel Norman and and Lois Weber was these two women in the teens and early twenties who not only made films but also produced them and directed them, and and in one case had like a production company. You know, we, what we learned was one of the first production companies was in New Jersey, not Hollywood, and it right. was run by a woman, Lois Weber, who had like hundreds of employees, right? Yeah. And and well, I, I like the fact that just an interesting little bit about it is Hollywood was not the first natural choice for that. It was New York and Florida, of course, were like huge production places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Hollywood did, and on, and Florida and Hollywood eventually got sort of moved into the front, largely because they had more, better natural light. Yeah, better weather than New York. Yeah, yeah. And what motivates some of these original people? Like, um, we're not going to be dealing with them, but there was a, a husband and wife um, team um, who made films, an African American husband and wife in the teens. Um, and they were sort of motivated by the same thing that motivated Lois Weber, which is 
um, a fervent sort of um, religious and political view. And it's uh-huh. like, these are people who are apt to see the new horizon, who right. today would be apt to see who were first on the sort of like the uh, the podcast train or whatever it is. Back sure. then, we're like, hey, rather than standing on street corners and passing out pamphlets, we could actually make these films well, every, about moral stories. Every art is exciting when it's the Wild West in that art. Yeah, no when kidding. It's, when it's coming into being. Yeah. Right? Movies were like that. Podcasts were like that. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. So. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, so what the fuck is wrong with that? That's all right. There's a couple of movies we want to talk about and and with you know, the first one is um we're not even sure how to label it because we don't know who made it. You know, Netflix has a series uh, about like pioneers of African American um filmmaking. And so um there's guys like um Oscar Michaud um who's who's talked about a lot um in that series. Mm-hmm. Um, and others who like in the teens and twenties, um, putting together small production companies, making shorts and then making like feature length films, Mm -hmm. you know, written by directed and starring, um, you know, African-Americans, a completely African-American cast, presumably crew as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa, God, Tom. Could you imagine in 1921 a white crew working <laughs> for a, a, a black director? That would just never. Oh, have just happened. a white, a white key grip. What am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and so these are like the, the National Archives to sort mm-hmm. of preserve these films. And so you know, this first one that we want to talk about is from 1915, and it's, it's like a, a 15 minute short actually. Uh-huh. It's called the um, Two Nights of Vaudeville. Two Nights of Vaudeville. And when we say nights, we don't mean N I G. We mean like as in with where Armorca Knights. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I mean, a good point. I think it's a, no. I just got. I started thinking about um, the Ku Klux Klan for some reason when you said oh, that. So my, boy, I got confused there <laughs> when you said knights. Let's back away. Yeah. So um, that's why I didn't want to say anything. So, <laughs> so th- this film is. Um, it's really one of those great films. It's an excuse film. Yeah. I mean, there is no plot to this film, mm-hmm. but it's still fascinating because, first of all, it's early 1915. 1915, it's a silent film. All the, Both of these movies we're talking about today are silent films. Yep. This is a silent film. It really looks like, like nothing so much as uh, like, a, like a vaudeville company got a hold of a camera and a black vaudeville company got a hold of a camera and said, fuck it, let's... Do everyone's act in front of the camera, and that, then, then, boom, they proceeded to do that. Boom, yeah. Well, there's no question about it. You know, one of the things is like there's a, a tradition, as I see it, and um, in African American entertainment and vaudeville and that type of of entertainment where. Uh, it doesn't get talked about until it's too late, and there's community around it. So, like in the modern version, for the last thirty years, there's been the Apollo Theater, and it's it, it it unnerves me that like the Rolling Stones or Billy Joel or Metallica, it's been a popular thing the last few years to play the Apollo Theater in oh, Harlem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, cute, we're playing this cute like it's like that's not your fucking place, you know? Well, the, the Apollo- Medea movies too. I mean, there's a, there's a the there's what a, the Medea movies. Oh, like, no. there's a whole bunch of yeah, yeah. I know, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's hugely fucking popular. In the African American community, it's huge in that community. We just are not in that community, so we don't know that. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it's it's sort of I, I would say it's parsed because there's also a you know I, mean, I like this digression, but it's sort of like um, one of the complaints by some in the African American community, maybe it's more academic, mm-hmm. is that some of the original um, entertainment by black performers is men in drag, and it was a sort of original oh, right. way to like demean and humiliate the, the male yeah. to, to sort of beta the black man. If Absolutely, you will, right? yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I but think... But now that, it's like maybe part, of their, maybe part of black culture. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know the legitimacy of that. I really sense. don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get, and I get the trepidation there. Yeah, and 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 then this is another thing, right? So the Apollo Theater has like oh. what I know it for mostly is Night at the Apollo, yep. which is right. weirdly filmed in the daytime. But Night at the Apollo is you know comedians and jugglers or whoever like come out and then. Typically, most of the time, just get fucking smashed by yeah, the audience. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I even I remember Patrice O'Neill, who could work <laughs> any fucking audience, mm-hmm. getting smashed by Night of the Apollo and just ha- walking away with his uh, tail between his legs. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something interesting. That's not oh. specific to the Apollo Theater. That's more like an African American crowd situation. It's yeah, really okay. interesting. The most bu- the most brutal audience I've ever seen was a yeah. black audience that didn't like a particular black comic in front of me. They were shouting <clears> next. <throat> it was crazy, mm. and you, you had never to go seen- on after that. I did. How'd you do? Uh, actually, oddly enough, uh, black audiences in a comedy club are tend to be kinder to white on- to white comics than they do to black comics. That's interesting. They did. I did not get a hell. I- they didn't care for me all that much. Yeah, I, I get it. At the time, I wasn't that good, really. Yeah, but um, yeah, but uh, but they were they were they didn't shout next into my face. Yeah, okay, but but uh, I guess what I'm yeah, you're right. Maybe it's I, I'm so specifying I just say, like, the, the Apollo is an interesting is is like is what we all know. It's, it's the one we know, right? It's a phenomenon that's larger than that. But it's sure. But I mean, that's it's a way of sort of talking about you know the Apollo night at the Apollo is a way of talking about how community gets around. Mm-hmm. Like an act, right? And then there's the other thing. I think about the the Nicholas Brothers and the Cotton Club, right? The Nicholas Brothers were the, these the twin dancers, uh-huh. who I mean, those guys ended up like. Oh wait a minute, those dance? Yeah, those guys they're fucking ridiculous. Michael Jackson had nothing <laughs> on these motherfuckers, <laughs> Absurd. man. Absurdly, like like Just dancing acrobatic. up a wall and like bouncing yeah. back and forth. Yeah. I mean, it hurts you to watch them. Yeah, it hurts your your nethers to watch these guys. And they and ended I, up, of course. I guess that worked against them in the end too. Yeah, yeah, they ended up broke and like. With with crippled. broken bones, just yeah. crippled, right? And and it's sort of like I'm sorry, unabled. Yes, disabled from dancing, dancing disabled, and 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 so like you have these films, like preserving what was given. Yeah. Right? right, and I think that's that. Even though this is a short film, it's like it's more interesting to me than just like home movies showing vaudevillians doing their thing. Right, right, right. It really is sort of like how do I preserve for the outside world what normally you have to go into a certain neighborhood mm-hmm. and and into like a kind of a non-venue venue, right? Right, like a, a like a warehouse venue or something, mm-hmm. and see how do I sort of promote it to the outside world? And so yeah, it's a film that's just an excuse. Really? But it is an amazing but preservation it, of something. It is an amazing preservation of something. And also, there's a framing device in it that kind of talks to what we're talking about, yeah. the expectation of a black uh, of black entertainers at that point. Yeah. Because, okay, so the framing device is these three uh, these uh, three black guys, uh, black people uh, come across tickets dropped by somebody else to a vaudeville show. They go see the vaudeville show. Yeah. And then like, they, walk, they, they, they make hams out of themselves. They get kicked out. They decide to open up their own vaudeville show. Right. And they go do it. I'm pretty sure that those guys were basically doing their act, and their act was to be incompetent vaudeville performers. Yeah. And I think that might have been like like what like black vaudeville performers could do in front of a white audience was only be bad, you know, get the laughs from being incompetent yeah. at it, which I'm sure they I'm sure they were more than competent, in it, but but were like were unable to show it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I think that this film is uh, is all about inten- like the next film we can talk about. Like, oh, it, it, here's uh, where I recognize like technique or this. Yeah. There's no technique to this film. It's at like all. it's like how do I in 1915 take a camera and just sort of document something. I mean, in a way, you know, we, we were talking about this with somebody this week 
and it's that Peter Jackson has gone back yeah. to the world war, like a hundred hours of motion pictures from World War One, and um, adjusted the speed uh, so it's a, a natural I get a speed. Boner hearing about this, by the way. Um, um, colorized it, but today color in the eighties colorization was a terrible was Ted rotten. Turner thing. But you can so actually upsetting. colorize it so it's realistic. Right, right, right. Made it kind of like a three D quality. Got lip got lip readers to come in and, and provide the dialogue. The, These the dialogue, f- yes. Yeah, so you actually have a hundred hours of World War One film, and that's that's the issue. Like you know, I remember I, I had this photograph of the Sutro Bathhouse in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and it, it, you know probably you've seen this right. The Sutro Bathhouse is like a thousand, mostly young men, but some young women just sort of standing around posing around uh-huh. the bathhouse. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, like, wow, I'm looking at a, a, a picture where everyone is clearly dead. Even the children are are in their right. graves at this point mm-hmm. and how fascinating that is. But it kind of ends there because they don't quite seem like real people. Right. And and so, like, someone else, I think Ken Burns went, went around and um, colorized still photographs of um, – prisoners in the concentration camps oh and it brings a whole new level Hmm. of empathy right to like oh that is an actual person rather than like uh the like the representation of a person going to the gas chambers interesting in distancing there's i think that's kind of the that almost might be one of the magical things about a good black and white photo is that it's it's it can be visually delicious but it's also there's an element of a different world going on there. Which is why... There's I, a remove. I would say the re- the reverse is true, too, which is why sometimes... Like, I saw a movie um, recently called Roma, and, and I'm going to sort of hold off on it in case we just want to talk about it, I don't know, some other time. But it's on Netflix. It's, uh, here in Fresno, they're showing it in a theater, actually. From, they're that. projecting it from Netflix. It's black and white, and it is fucking incredible. And one of the things is the black and white... Is meant to distance you from yeah. certain things, right? And so black and white is. It wasn't great. originally. Originally, all they had was black and white footstock. Right. But people came. We came to that realization later on. It's become a tool. So people who like are down on black and white films, like it can. The fact that it distances you can be a, a, a negative or a positive. Just right. use it correctly, right. right? Yeah. Anyway, so I don't. That was a great tangent. But basically, going back to the idea that this this film, the 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 two nights of vaudeville, is is um, just sort of a, a nice archive find. Yeah, I mean it's a piece of history, right? Yeah, right, right, right. As it's opposed, not great movie making by any stretch of the imagination. No, 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 no. As opposed to the one, the, the one we really want to talk about the here, Flying Ace from nineteen twenty six. Oh my! This is directed by uh, Richard <laughs> Richard E. Norman, mm-hmm. who who directed uh, I think six or seven um, silent films. Yeah. Um, As, and he, the, the 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 studio that that produced it was a uh, I think owned by a white man and and sort of specialized in doing. Ethnic movies, yeah. Well, it's so it's the same thing as as um, as uh, what the fuck is her name? I'm already forgetting it. Sorry, Lois Lois Weaver. Yeah. Um, in that, yeah, it was in Sanford, Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, it was sold off in the 80s as as uh, I'm sorry, in the 30s uh, to businesses, right? Um, and and someone recently, as recently as the 80s or 90s. Um, Went and bought it back up, rebuilt the place. Well, it discovered it in a way. Like, yeah. no one even knew that was the old studio. And sort of uh-huh. they started turning it back, and it, it's become part of the National Park System of Florida, <laughs> this, this old studio. That's pretty, that's Honestly, that's much cooler than I would ever give Florida credit for. Oh, Florida. <laughs> oh, yeah, because Sanford, Florida, by the way, is, is where Trayvon Martin was murdered by oh, Zimmerman. Wow. Same town we're talking about right. here, right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right, so, so we're talking about um, a film... That is complex. It's got a lot of, lot of, a lot of moving parts. It's, yeah. it's 
Well, first it's of all, it's a drama, but it definitely has comedy elements going on. No question about. It. I thought it was going to be a film about flying aces, about yeah. about airplanes, and it primarily isn't. It, it primarily isn't. No, it's a it's a it's a flying ace who uh, before the war, World War One, uh, was apparently a, a railroad detective. And yep. He comes back and he takes it back his old job. As a railroad detective, but he's running around in his flying ace uniform, and I'm assuming the actor himself might have been a fly, might have been an ace during World War One. They do an interesting thing with the title cards in this because whenever there's a title card representing dialogue, they also note who the actor is. They do that the first time the actor appears on screen, and they yeah. drop it thereafter. But yeah, yeah. So you see some before. sort of historical context to who they are. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I guess this is part of the Preservation Act, I imagine. It might have been, or it might have been at the time. I don't know. That would be an amazing because they didn't do it for the other movie. And they could have, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it might have been actually part of the technique of this movie. There's some really interesting things in this movie. Yeah. I don't, uh, there's some really interesting use of flashback yeah. in this, which I, which is a, a technique I didn't credit with this time period. Yeah. Necessarily. So, yeah. All right. Well, so it's, it's, um, so what's it about? Yeah. Okay. It's about a robbery. Yep. It's a whodunit. At a train station. It definitely has a, it, it tries to sort of ape, um, like a, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. Situation, right? By the way, the only forms of transportation in this whole movie are airplanes and a train, and that's it. Yeah. And then John Candy shows up, and he's like, yeah, sure, I'm an Uh, easy target. Shut up. Sorry. So, yeah. Those are two pillows. This guy, guy, uh, Richard Norman... He he was um, a, a great pioneer, but one of his sort of like flim flammy, like out of necessity things is that he would go into a town and convince the whole town to be part of the movie, uh-huh. and then and then screen the movie in that town first and make enough money from the screening to sort of produce <laughs> another movie. <laughs> okay, so fair that's enough. that's happening. I know people who produce comedy shows much like that. Yeah, okay. yeah, without mentioning any names. Yeah, for sure. So so um, yeah, so it's you got this old man. Who um, is the? I don't know what is. The, he works at the train station. Yeah, he's like uh, he's the station manager. Right. Sorry. Everybody in this movie is black. It's like a yes. world without white people at all, which is yes. really cool. Okay. <laughs> so no, I think I thought that was a fascinating element to it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Not one single white person walking through the screen. Hey, I can't tell you how many movies I've seen that by white people for white people that didn't have a single black person in them. So how many? Come on. Ah, uh, many. Yeah. Okay. Many. Let me take off my shoes. Yeah. So, um, it's this, I want it's, I want to talk about this movie, but I don't even know where to start because this movie is so fucking weird and so complex and so it cop it just had my attention the, the whole time. time, but for good reasons. Yeah, like yeah. not like it was, absurdity. It was or compelling. Yeah, okay. It was compelling in many in so many different ways. It's kind of hard to know what to. So talk the station about. manager is sorry. Yeah, go, so okay. So there's this he uh, the, uh, the the the, the for, for the railroad. Um, the finance guy is there. He's brought the money. He's, He's got, got a satchel a, full of twenty five thousand. Twenty five grand. Yeah. Twenty five big G's. Simoleons. Clamaroonies. Yeah. Creambacks. Clamamoleons. Yeah. Go ahead. Anyways, got that money, uh, and uh, it's it is stolen. Basically, the old man. Uh, goes walks through a door. We we cut away. Yeah. We come back, and now he's looking for money, and it's yeah. gone. And he yeah, doesn't yeah. remember how what happened. Yeah. He remembers absolutely nothing about it. But the guy with the money and the money are both missing. Yeah. So at that point, like when the police get called in, wait, uh, wait, wait. But I, I think it's I important know, though because it cross cuts so a lot. Much. I mean, it, it it doesn't. It's not. It it's not obsessed with being it's like linear like a, at any not, given it's moment, like right? Memento. 
Yeah, it's, so so there's another guy. There's a guy who has uh, an airplane. And he has his experience as a flying ace, right? And, and he's also an ex, an ex detective for the railroad. An ex detective, and he's in love with the, the station manager's daughter, the who's uh, a who is very beautiful. This woman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's really in love with her, although she doesn't share his love. Right, right. So that's important because you're you're less sort of curious as to like okay I, I see that there's I go back to the station manager and there's there's some sort of who done it or robbery here but why am I concerned with this other guy who's who's being dismissed by the station manager's daughter and you have this cop who's on the scene right like in in a cop's uniform right you know, like in a Keystone cop's uniform a bit yeah definitely and and he he represents the less I don't I, the less dignified I don't know he's the only one who speaks in patois in the whole thing. Yeah, that's right. They do the the yeah. You're right. Everybody else, everybody else is is saying things like drat, and he is not. He is definitely from like. I don't understand the language of this film, and not because of the patois, <laughs> but because of the like. Um, yeah, get him in the abracadabra. Get him in the kablooies. You know, the hocus pocus. Oh, the, the hocus pocus. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to show you the hocus pocus, which I think means beat on you. Is what it's supposed to mean. I guess so. It seems to. I don't. And I don't know why they needed that code. Like punching was like of the word punch was not good. I don't get it. Okay, but who cares? Nevertheless, doesn't matter. Com- maybe there's a comedy element to that that doesn't just doesn't make any sense. It now. could be. But then you have this this other ex flying ace. Who right. comes back into the picture. Now, he's wearing his sort of like flying ace uniform around town. Mm-hmm. He comes back to the station, and because the the normal sort of Keystone cop may not be able to handle a case, yeah. the o- railroad um, owners basically say, uh, we'd like to ha- sort of drag you back into this case. Right. Yeah. And go, so, f- go solve this, kid. Go solve this case, buddy. And so mm-hmm. and, and he sort of presents himself as like a Sherlock Holmes type. Like he has he the, has the logical a, mind. And he has, most importantly... Uh, he a has a Watson. Kick oh, sidekick was a bad choice of words. <laughs> For, is it? Sidekick? Sidekick. I don't get it. The, are, who, are you talking about the, the. I'm talking about Peg. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has okay. a, His sidekick is. Uh, he is a guy named Peg. He's got one leg. Yeah. So there you go. The jokes start writing themselves immediately. I guess so. I mean, I. I, I but and. The, He's the most fucking athletic guy you've is, ever seen. And he is like Jesse Owens level awesome. He, he runs around amazing. on one leg. He Fast. hops up on the freight trains. He was with his little cane, with his little crutch, he's faster at running than the people who are running from he's him. He's doing backflips. Uh, yeah. At one point, should we get this away? Oh, yeah. At one point, he chases a car and a bicycle. How? He has one leg. One of he, the funniest scenes I've ever seen. He uses a crutch to... To crutch on one wheel, uh, on one pedal, and his foot on the other pedal. I can't impress upon you how <laughs> how fascinating this movie this is. is. It's one of the most interesting things I've ever seen. Like this, this guy's a super. You made you made this point, and I agree. He's a superhero. He is a, is a fucking superhero. He's top five superheroes of all time. I want to see his origin story. Richard Amazing. Norman did like some really. It's almost like a an, not an absurdist uh, like. I don't want to go as far as like magical realism, but like there's something not quite. That's what I'm saying. It's so jarring. Yeah. In its like use of drama and comedy at the same time, the, the, the never the twain shall meet. Yeah. It's really it's really interestingly done. I I wonder. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what to say. I think they just they felt. I guess they felt compelled that they they had a drama and they needed to get some comedy in it or something. I, I guess so. Know, but they did. I don't know. And rather effectively, because like you said. This is just compelling as shit to watch. Yeah, but and it's, it's also a silent. I don't say that for silence very often. No, and it's, it takes a lot of energy to watch it, but you love putting the energy into it. But it also mm. becomes a slight police procedural, right? Because uh-huh. you know the 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 flying the ex flying ace now detective. Sherlock Holmes detective and his sidekick one leg peg Watson. 
Um, they they start arresting <laughs> people and revealing their methodology yep. to other characters and to the audience, and it's it's. It's quite science, complex. It's science, yeah, the, the it's crime is very, very the complex. The crime is ridiculous and revealed in a series of, like they said, like yeah. flashbacks. But they're like, it's almost, it's uh, like so complicated. Yeah. You lose track of exactly how he's solving it. You, at some point, no. you just go, "Fuck it, he's working. He's, he's going to win." Well, that's because so all of that's the content, right? right? Which is like how movies were driven originally. They're driven by, by plot. Because yeah. that's we had literature to go by, and then slowly, out of necessity, early films are driven like technique in order to match the plot right so it's like you know the first yeah. time you had a silent film where it's like it changes scene is a big deal right or that you you do like a a, a jump shot or tracking or any of those sort of things to mm. indicate like a chase or something like that and so in a way now i kind of want to talk about like the, the the making of this movie like the techniques that you see yeah. in this movie and you mentioned one of them already which is flashback yeah they use flashback a bunch in this play. it's a really interesting they, way yeah, that they do that it's it's very uh it's it's weirdly it's weirdly revealing and not necessarily clarifying how they, how they pulled it off because they would yeah. show, they, so so they show him uh, the show our, our detective yeah. our fearless detective yeah, yeah. solving the crime and as he's doing it there the scene the scene that he just described as part of his deduction yeah they then play out they do it like, like forward flashback, flashback. Boop, and they play it out yeah yeah or like there's a there's a, an issue with a, a nearby swamp and whether evidence in the form of a, a of a murdered body is in the swamp right and they never actually take us to the swamp instead they, they keep panning over to these buzzards hanging around in a tree right and referencing why the buzzards are there right and whether the they're dead body right yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and so there are things they want to show us and things they don't want to show us but i wonder if that was like a limitation of budget or yeah but also things like you know these place. i don't know when these guys are arrested and then they escape um this the the idea of like the close-up on the key and the passing of the key like yeah. that that's pretty unique for 1926 right it's it's just not don't, done don't you worry gentle reader because peg will catch that motherfucker that Fucking one-legged Watson is one of the most incredible characters I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just he's so fucking awesome to watch. Um, yeah, there's other things too, like uh, so. Uh, well, okay, so they're close up of the. Okay, so there's a there's an airplane chase. Oh yeah, I forgot. Right, the one chase. That's why it's called the Flying Ace because there's right. a chance for an airplane chase. Right, it's just no aerial photography whatsoever. It's just yeah. close up of close up of the airplanes, and at one point a plane gets out of control and goes upside down, and they just flip it. It was kind of yeah. Kind of cheesy, but kind of cool at the same time. And that's kind of where it lost me. Not, I mean, I give it credit because it's 1926. What else could they do except sort of like turn the camera upside down? Yeah. I get it, but it it was the one that seemed the least inventive to me because I guess what you know they just had a loss as to what to do there. But I guess, yeah. But I mean, it has it. You know, yeah. It has a woman sort of climbing a ladder from one plane to the next, and it's it's pretty. It's I mean, it, it's there's there's some. Yeah. It doesn't lose its absurdity. No. Like you're going to sort of you know, but yeah. it is a fascinating study, and I think in a way it is that idea that that when people are are marginalized, yeah. right? What you get is inventiveness, right? So it's like mm -hmm. you know you never want to marginalize people, but I'm just talking about what happens as a result. And you know, in the well, writing world, we see it with women a lot, which right. is like you have these amazing novels because women couldn't publish, no, and so like when they just fucking do it under a different name, they're groundbreaking. Yeah. Well, and there's that there's that whole thing too. Like again, at the dawn of a particular art, it's the wild west. It's an even playing field, and even people who are yeah. incredibly marginalized yeah, yeah. are able to put something together and yeah. really contribute to you know really contribute to the art. Yeah. 
And this, I would say this movie definitely falls into that category. I, I really, really enjoyed this movie a <laughs> it lot. It's totally worth watching. I would say, so if you if you have access to Netflix, there's a whole, um, a season, basically, uh, it's like Af- Pioneers of African American Filmmaking. Um, and that's where we got these two. And we, you know, we tried one or two others that were kind of unbearable. Yeah. I mean, we we just, we just didn't even want to talk about them. <laughs> so some of them are just sort of like archived facts. They're not really yeah. enjoyable as movies. Right, right. And some of them are actually really interesting stories and really interesting studies in, in filmmaking. The Flying Ace definitely falls in that category. I would definitely, definitely uh, recommend, recommend that highly. And yeah. the two nights of vaudeville. Yeah, you okay. can spend twelve it's, minutes it, on that. Yeah, yeah, not, it's not much out of your life. But <laughs> yeah. the flying ace is definitely uh, fucking enjoyable, dude. I was, I was, yeah, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, the, I like the fact that the name is almost misleading to the movie. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, all right, all right. You got anything to plug, Tommy? Uh, yeah. First off, I'm going to go hail Peg. I think I'm going to ex- enter. I'm going to leave every episode with that. If Peg can do it, you can. I Peg can do anything. Uh, he believes he can fly. Anyways, uh, also go check out uh, my god comedy TomSmithComedy.com. Uh, we've got our uh, Patreon up. Please come uh, contribute, share. Um, what about you? Um, that's it. Actually, I have nothing uh, else to say. Go, Peg. I'm drop, with you, man. Drop us a note on Gmail at Finley's. Actually, uh, you know what happened? Finley's I, was, I wasn't listening to anything you said, yeah, so I'm yeah. not sure if I have anything. <laughs> All right, buddy. Love uh, you, man. He never listens. Bye.